0: Another pedestrian podcast episode uh, joining myself Stuart Court is as ever the man wanting to seek prosecution for the talk sport one Mr Adam Nathan how are we sir
1: yes I'm not too bad prosecute Jose Mourinho that's uh, that's all we need to do going forward in the future and then we're fine
0: <laughs> this week in the shallows of the just past LFR draft we are joined by Matty Brown you can catch Matty writings, and Musings over on Seahawk Maven, uh, welcome back to the pet Pod. mate.
2: Well, thank you very much for having me again. I'm looking forward to this. And honestly, as a Newcastle United fan, I, you know, I like Jose Mourinho. He's always quite good to Newcastle, always speaks highly, obviously, the Sibori Robson links. So, you know, if Adam wants to prosecute him, maybe after he's served his time, he could come be Newcastle manager, sort out the defence, which is, you know, Steve Bruce slowly eroded the organisation of Rafa Benitez. And then, you know, he, he, he'll do Jose things, but you know, the grass at this point does look greener.
1: We've quite happily taken Steve Bruce instead of Jose Mourinho this season and I reckon we would have finished higher.
2: No way.
0: No that, that's
1: how, way. That's how bad he is. But anyway, so have got so glorious then, things to talk about.
0: So Matt, most people have like, obviously a draft board is in the in the zeitgeist this week uh, Adam has a board of managers who if they were hired he would throw the scene ticket back at Daniel Le- Levy uh, I
2: thought I thought Adam would have a dartboard with uh, Jose Mourinho's head on it
0: <laughs>
1: yeah that's just over my right shoulder you just can't see it because I've not got the zoom angle on so uh, next time I'll show you
0: before we dive in the, the, the classic um, three teams are worse than us coming through again though for the Newcastle Matty
2: yes <laughs> Did you say three teams are worse than Newcastle?
0: Well, it seems that way because they're fourth or fifth bottom and the three... The they're little, fourth are going bottom down. now, yeah.
2: I mean, yeah, it's pretty much... I don't think they'll hit the 40-point mark, so I'm um, staying up because the rest of the league's slightly worse, which, you know, yeah. as the life of being a Newcastle fan under Mike Ashley, <laughs> modern football, et cetera, et cetera.
0: Yeah. Well, I was, I was quite looking forward to... Well, not looking forward. I was uh, circling the 12 flights of stairs up to the end at Newcastle for next season as a City fan, so... That's a shame, but we just have to pull up with the Sunderland nonsense instead, it seems. Uh, but before that, uh, Pete and John last week, Adam spoke on the Wilson thing. It's a dead parrot at this stage, but I, I'm not sure which. What, which? What who was Michael Palin in the conversation, but they got it back in the conversation. What was your reading on the few things with different vibes that they, they had to say last?
1: Well, they flipped around with it a little bit, didn't they? They started off by saying there had been an issue then it was all the media's fault and then the media were fine. So kind of within one story arc, they managed to uh, change their mind on it three or four times. Look, I think we all know there was an issue. I think from what we can tell now, everyone's been placated to the sense that they're happy to go on with the season. I don't believe John Schneider when he said they didn't field any calls, but why would he say that? That would be lunacy to put that in the public sphere. And in a way, Pete and John for me last week did what they criticized Russell Wilson for the most. And that was protect the team. Mm -hmm. Um, They come out of that press conference acting as if everything's rosy and we're fine. Um, I think we'll be in the same position next year. And I think it'll be traded next year. I've thought that for for a long time. Um, And until I see that contract restructure, that's what I'm going to think. But Hey, if, you know, as Carl Shanahan said, we might not even be here this time next year. So let's try and enjoy this season and see what happens with uh, with uh number three under centre, which is obviously the best case scenario for all parties concerned.
0: It is. Uh, Matty?
2: Yeah, I agree with what Adam said. I mean, it's clear that they, I mean, Pete Carroll has always, you know, got that reputation and a, an earned reputation of being a player's first coach. And he obviously... Was protecting Russell Wilson, you know, not what does he gain from criticizing him now that things appear to have been patched over, at least for this season? However, actions do ultimately speak louder than words. And as it's true that Russell Wilson sent a list of four teams via his agent, which I thought the Seahawks kind of was telling John Schneider's comments on it, it was kind of like, well, I was dealing with the agent. And yes, that, you know, the agent did send a, t- a list of four teams. However, um, Pete was dealing with Russell Wilson and, you know, Russell Wilson, you know, he was fine and uh, that's all good. And while that also happened, you know, the Seals did not restructure Russell Wilson's contract. And while, you know, maybe things are okay after this year, they're certainly keeping their options open for 2022. If you look at the contracts on the roster, the the future of it, the, the players on the contract, you know, after this year, it suddenly looks quite thin and it does look like, if they wanted to, if they needed to, if things became uh, even well, if things became untenable with Russell Wilson, they could move on from him, and they they would be in a position to to do that and do a rebuild under what a like seventy two year old head coach or in the for <laughs> second year of his new five year deal. So, mm. yeah, I mean that'd be it, fun, but also scary. Yeah,
0: but the whole vibe of it was weird because it it seemed like Pete was. Firefighting at certain points of it, and George Snyder, as he seemed uh, on a Saturday evening as well. He seemed a bit chippy. He seemed a bit pissed off. He seemed short with certain members of the Seahawks press corps. Um, but yeah, it just it 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 it, it was a weird like of everything, was not it? All 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 told, the how they both seemed to be dealing with it and out with it, Adam.
1: Yeah, I'm interested actually in both of your views. I've just been thinking now and I've heard a couple of people talking about how, you know, Russell Wilson's probably never going to get better than he is now. Um, Someone that has, I wouldn't say relied on his speed and his legs to get him out of trouble, but it has been a factor of his play that quite often he's moved out and, you know, the miraculous plays, if he goes into the Hall of Fame one day, the plays in his highlight reel are going to be the Fran Tarkenton style stuff spinning out you know the the Doug Baldwin throw in Arizona uh stuff like that if if you had to do like number it 1 to 10 and 1 would be totally reliant on the on the roster that he's got and 10 would be he's almost like roster proof like Patrick Mahomes kind of level right now that can get you to a super bowl cuz he's that good what number would you both give Russell Wilson right now in terms of how dependent he is on on pieces around him
2: well a long answer where I'll promise I'll end with a number. <laughs> well, but, you know, this will buy me some time, hopefully. But uh, With the
1: caveat, of course, that it is the ultimate team game and no quarterback can literally win it by themselves. But you know kind of what I'm getting at.
2: Right. And in the NFL, obviously, you know, a, the, a franchise quarterback, a, having a good quarterback is most relevant, you know, more relevant than college football, where the collective is more noticeable. You could argue, mm-hmm. you know, the because, you know, the, around the league, the talent level is fairly even on each roster, you know, relatively. Uh, the quarterback is what takes a, a team over the edges, we've seen time and time again. Um, and, you know, it's obviously why they get paid so much more than anyone else. Uh, w- with Wilson, you know, he's, he turns 33 in, uh, I think it's September, but he'll be 33 basically when we're playing NFL football this year. And, you know, his athleticism will decline. I think we've seen, you know, he has, he's uh, got a bit stockier as maybe because, you know to withstand hits, but also his speed has gone. His he's, he's unable to outrun most edge defenders now and also edge defenders and def- defensive coordinators got smarter for scheming for his elusiveness. So I do think, like you, I agree, we have seen the best of his playmaking. This year's huge because they want, as Pete Carroll said in his press conference before the draft, from Shane Waldron's offense, they want to see rhythm from Russell Wilson. They want to try and make him so he can live in the pocket. And that's why it's quite an exciting year because it's kind of the moment where the Seahawks themselves may be like, you know, regardless if Russell Wilson's unhappy here and wants to go, you know, maybe we're okay with that because we've seen that he can't live in the pocket. We're unsure about his future beyond this season. Um, And, you know, so I, I think now I'd say Russell Wilson, like I'd say I'd give him like a three in terms of, I think, I I can't remember exactly what what you asked, but I'd say three is in he, uh, you know, three out of 10 is how much he needs the roster to elevate him. I I think he's a very talented weapon, but this year, and we'll talk about the draft picks in a bit, but this year, uh, you know, he doesn't really have any excuses. The offense is pretty stacked. Uh, He had a say in the offense coordinator. I believe he had a say in personnel decisions. I mean, Pete said he always did, but it was interesting that he, he divulged that information. Um, but yeah, this year is where we kind of find out and maybe that three starts to become a, uh, a five based on how much Russell struggles. Um, add, uh, sorry, Stuart, what, what are your thoughts on that?
0: Yeah, I, I think I said to you earlier on WhatsApp, Adam, it, it's it, narratively for Russell Wilson, this is quite a big year. as mm-hmm. reasons we'll get onto with the draft picks because the conversation has always been Pete needs to adapt to this and X and Y, and D and B and C to make the most of his quarterback but as as we'll see with the draft picks uh, they made certainly one of them this year the, the coach is quite clearly changing and adapting and uh, changing his approach to just get better people better players on the field instead of just sticking to um, what he uh, probably quite obviously this weekend coveted just because the player is better than the sample, the, the, the outline of a player at like six foot two and everything else. So the narrative around Russell Wilson is going to change. Cause I think Matt, you said on social media quite a lot the through the Russell Wilson contract that the the struggles at the back end were not really on Jottenheimer or the schemes or the players he was thrown to, but a lot of it, a lot more than Russell Wilson's PR spin may want Um people to buy in on was on the
2: quarterback. Well, it's just interesting how, you know, the year ends and everyone's like, well, there's, you know, we'd like to see Brian Schottenheimer adjust, um, but obviously it's obvious Russell Wilson is also not playing as well. And, you know, to look at why that is, you do sort of have to, as cliche as it is, you do have to see all 22 players and you do have to watch the tape somewhat, but, um, you know, Brian Schottenheimer did try to adjust and it's fair to say his adjustments didn't work. Now, Maybe they weren't catered properly to the quarterback. Maybe he couldn't really get what was working. But I I personally believe that Schottenheimer did pretty much all he could have done. Um, Obviously he's paid the price, so he's irrelevant now, but going ahead in the future. I I mean, I think this whole thing, this whole deal with Waldron is that they're going to try and get Russell back to relying on a, a run game or at least run action and play and trying to play him within that basic structure and not having him straight drop back. Um, And obviously I think he's in a a distant stratosphere, a different stratosphere to Baker Mayfield, but look at how like Baker Mayfield sort of got built back up again by what Kevin Stefanski does and that outside zone, like play action kind of stuff. Now Shotty did that, but there's a difference between doing that, like for a few plays a game and like committing to that, run action that similar appearance and basing your most of your offense around it apart from when you go up tempo two minute which obviously Russell also enjoys but
0: that's more like picking and choosing those moments um, yeah but also, also doesn't that gauge I don't you've set out kind of go against a lot of his comments because obviously he said he wanted he basically said he wanted to be protected more but if if he if he wasn't so reliant on that he would be in these MVP conversations he would be playing deeper into January and February if he wasn't so reliant on everything being better in for whatever, than it was in 2020. I think think, he's, sorry, Matt, I think he's kind of
1: the, the funny example of he's both supremely talented, but also quite reliant on what's around him, largely because of his height, which doesn't help. So that does, you know, give him a slight disadvantage in looking over. And he's never been the guy that's, you know, found tight ends, particularly productive, Um, you know, stuff like that, you know, over the middle and the quick game that they appear to want to um, instigate. Now I was listening to Mike Dugar's terrific podcast as always. And they were saying that, you know, they've had yak guys, they've had Golden Tate, Percy Harvin, Doug Baldwin, Tyler Lockett to, to an extent, but it's never happened. And under Russell Wilson, really, there's never been a guy that's, you know, if you look at um, Eskridge's yards after the catch, I think it's nine yards per catch uh, in in college, how how many yards he got after after the catch, which is so significantly more than anyone Seattle have had. So, uh, yeah, in a way, I think that Wilson is kind of both immensely talented, but also someone that is going to rely a lot on the guys around him just because of his own physical limitations that we've always known about and have always mitigated for quite well. But as he maybe slows up a bit, that is maybe just where you have to adjust more and more as it goes on.
0: Yeah, I
2: I think, yeah, I think I'll probably just end up repeating myself, but I agree with what's been said. I think, um, yeah, it's, for me, it comes down to like this year and we might see this kind of play out as a battle between like the three factions, Waldron, uh, Wilson and Carroll, but it does come down slightly to like quarterback ego and like how willing Wilson is to embrace like, I mean, the, in, in a sense, he could still end up passing, you know, 30, 40 times a game with that, with the presentation of like what we assume is going to be like you know this run action this outside zone stuff to like mix it up which will also help him but uh, i don't know it, it you know i could easily see a situation where he's unhappy because uh, you know he spoke about his legacy so much and he's unhappy because he thought he can live from like uh essentially what we saw last year of shotty where they went very pass heavy teams worked them out and they they you know the counters they tried were not effective um like they was, I still thought they were sounding in logic like they did go quick game. they tried to get stuff working but it just didn't like for whatever reason and it wasn't just Wilson it wasn't just Shotty being clueless it, it was other factors as well but you know it didn't work so uh, and I, I think that's a slippery slope where yeah I, I guess there's, there's only one way to find out isn't there but
1: is, is this a scheme that he's going to be asked to take what he's uh, yeah take what he's given a lot more and there's going to be a lot more like easy is that what the, the plan's going to be? Because it's not something that he's ever been that willing to do. He has seemed to, you know, be a home run hitter more than kind of take what he's given and, and you know, take the four yards that the defense will give you on on a number of plays. Mm. Well,
2: we did well, we don't really know because because we don't really know like what the blend's going to be like. We we kind of heard a bit more about it in the draft press conferences, which is interesting. We still don't really know until we see it and until Waldron slots the pieces in. And of course, he's a first year OC, and what, while he's got like an elite quarterback, well, you know, we all think he's very good. Uh, it's it's a very difficult job. Like he's coming into a kind of a tricky, precarious situation with lots of things to balance. I think the scheme does mean that. You know, it's, it's still the same concepts that they play action concepts that they're running under Shotty. It's just that commitment to it. And I, I come back to again, Carol mentioned rhythm and getting the ball out on time and how part he was asked about pass protection. His answer involved rhythm and quarterback play and how Russell is really good at getting the ball out quick, but um, and it put a positive spin on it, and how Russell also has the play extension, which is his unique play style, but um, how. You know the importance of rhythm and quick rhythm, especially is, is big. So I guess there will be more of an emphasis on on that, and that that may be the difference. Needed combined with maybe a, a further commitment to these to these like core concepts, and maybe they've learned a lot from last year and how they couldn't get quick game working despite trying to uh, for a, a variety of reasons. And maybe Russell's more comfortable with some new stuff, new ideas, and Waldron will bring more to the table. I'm sure that's what they're hoping for.
0: So it, Pete saying that, is that Pete saying, look, we've done this, we've gone gone out and got the, the tight end who can be a Yak guy. We have got the 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 speed monster, wide receiver, you got Tyler Lockett, you got DK Metcalf, you got Chris Carson, Matt Rashad Penny currently still in the building. Is and then obviously you got Gabe Jackson and um, whatever they decide to do with one of the draft picks later on. Is that Pete? Because from here on for the Seahawks, any move they make in the next wave wave of free agency, the names being banded about are all defensive, like KJ, Sherm, and others. But so is is that Pete saying, "Look, we've done this. Now you have to not have to, but you are got a required, I guess, of the same thing uh, to do this, mate." <laughs> Well, I, th- I I do I
2: do think that is. I mean, like I said, like if you look at the offense now and the construction of it, like there's a lot of wet receiving weapons who are all versatile and can stay on the field, like no matter the situation. I mean, Everett's not the best blocker, but if you put him in a wing alignment, so like off the line of scrimmage, um, but kind of like looking like a tight end, but just off the line of scrimmage, like he did that for the Rams, and he can he can block a bit from there. He can go across the formation to block like the backside end man on the line of scrimmage. And all that stuff. But he is also that receiving uh, receiving threat. Uh, Dwayne Eskridge, like, or Dwayne, I should say. Dwayne Eskridge, D Eskridge. That's why I'm getting confused. Like, we'll talk about him, I guess. But, you know, he's versatile. Carroll mentioned that after they drafted him. He can do a lot of things. He can carry the ball. Uh, he can play outside. He can play inside. Lock it. plays outside, plays inside. Metcalf, he played outside mainly as, like, the X on the line of scrimmage, that big body. But he can move inside a bit um he kind of did that last year a tiny bit and he he's fast in the straight so he could t- technically take the ball and lock it can as well so all these players it's like you know we're talking like three wide receivers one tight end occasionally maybe to go tw- 12 personnel and put two tight ends out there but really they have the weapons to all stay on the field and and uh mix it up with three wide receivers one tight end so i do think like you know, Russell has the the talent there and, you know, maybe they add Golden Tate as another yak threat, but I don't think, I think the blend is going to be the similar concepts to last year, just a bit more of like a concentration and maybe a bit more like under center rather than shotgun and stuff like that. But um, yeah, I mean, Adam, am I, am I talking nonsense or?
1: I mean, I don't know the first thing about anything, <laughs> that, so it can't be me to tell you that. I, I think in a way... Um, You've not given necessarily an answer, but I probably asked an unanswerable question because, as you say, we need to see what's coming. But, yeah, you know, the draft is obviously just in the book. So, uh, Stu, what are your uh, your overriding thoughts? I never ask you questions, so uh, okay. what are your overriding I, thoughts?
0: I said before, uh, Matt, you joined before we went live, that I, I really like this draft group. Even just stand-alone, the three people, players, they actually use draft cap on with... Um, I just the, the second one is a bit strange for reasons we was kind of touched on earlier, but I've watched what I can of him, and he kind of, and you listen to, all you can do at this, that point is watch what he did in college and listen to what he said to the, on the press conference after he's selected, and he just like, the vibe makes again, makes a lot of sense for the Seahawks, for that defensive back room, for the people that are in it, because like, Trey Flowers is still there, but I've never heard Trey Flowers talk, so I'm not too sure what his like, whole demeanour is. And I think we kind, of, we kind of saw the last couple of years that he's definitely someone who plays with, only plays to his peak uh, when he's confident. But Trey Brown doesn't seem to have that problem. He just seems to go completely all in and kind of have that grit to him. I mean, obviously, he got into like a bit of a banter-adjacent uh, uh Conversation with Quandre about the, the jersey number six after he got drafted as well. So there is kind of there is there is a vibe to him which kind of makes sense more than maybe the, the player did when he was selected. But yeah, the three picks I kind can of, like d I've watched um uh some more of him today, and he's just the first player I watched, it was the old crossover Doug Baldwin basketball, Alan Iverson kind of vibe, and that's just that's fun if nothing else. And again, like the way he talks, I think I texted you Adam on Saturday or Friday. It was just woots. The the whole mentality just seems to fit into that. And as we heard from Doug Baldwin a few months ago, that that is a mentality which still exists in that draft in that wide receiver room. And Eskridge, on first impressions, certainly is going to hit the ground running in that thing uh, in that in that sense. Uh, what was your
1: thoughts, Adam? Well, obviously, I'm a you know, real tape junkie, and uh, <laughs> so, having the, uh, yeah. the tape, yeah, you know, I make Matty look like a part timer.
2: <laughs>
0: so, uh,
1: I think when it comes to the draft, I tend to defer to those with more knowledge than me. I think my overriding view, and I think I said this to as many people as I could going into the draft, is that 56 for me was the place to take a cornerback. Uh, I thought it was the biggest position of need on the roster. Um, and I wanted the best cornerback available at 56. I don't agree with a lot of the takes retrospectively from the national media that wide receiver wasn't a position of need for Seattle, because I I think it was. But when you look at the the perceived quality of the guys that are going undrafted, it does strike me as a well that is particularly full when you're going to look for a wide receiver. Uh, It does appear to to be very much the... You know the the position of the day uh in terms of what what everyone's wanting to play and what everyone's after. So it did strike me that maybe that, you know, that's a position you could fill later on. Um and I think what it, it leads to me, and I, I said this on Rob Staten's podcast on Saturday night, is that I think the floor for this team is probably lower than it's ever been in the Russell Wilson era, just because I think there are holes there on defense that haven't been there in the past. And if certain players in certain positions play poorly this year, that could be devastating. Whereas there was only so bad a team with, you know, from 2013 to 2018 could be with with the quality there. However, on the flip side to that, Green Bay looks like a bit of a tumultuous situation at the moment. And outside of that, it it strikes me this could be the clearest path to the Super Bowl the Seahawks have had since 2013.
0: Mm-hmm
2: Mate, I I I feel a lot better about Seattle's depth, though I understand that like cornerback, depending on how that plays out, that could kind of sink or swim the team. Yeah, I think that's
1: what it is. It's like if, in worst case scenario, in the L O B era, the worst case scenario is great. Whereas the worst case scenario here, I feel, with the cornerbacks we've got and a linebacker core that, you know, is without KJ as it stands right now, and a defensive line which Dunlap hopefully will lead, but he's thirty-two. I feel like the defense in a worst case scenario could go to utter shit. Um I don't think it will, but like that's the worst case scenario given the time. But maybe Matty you'll tell me that I'm completely wrong and I am undervaluing a lot of the guys that are on that on the team.
2: No, I don't think you're wrong. Like, I can definitely see that line of thinking. Um but I, I feel more positive about it because I think They've got bodies like who have done stuff in the league and you know, like veteran presence. My biggest problem, I think, I I I'm okay with the cornerback group. I mean, if you think back to USC, like who was Pete Carroll's best cornerback? Like he never really had a cornerback, like and for him, I think building the front seven out, like the LOB is kind of like a uh it kind of like misshapes the narrative. And I, I understand that I understand that the NFL is moving towards like you know, coverage first. But with Seattle, when their front sevens like pop in, I think the cornerback group doesn't like they're not asked to do too much in terms of scheme. They're often like they often play with coverage help. Then they're rarely put like on a pure, pure island. Um, like they, they usually have help underneath and you know, over the top or in, in the middle of the field or whatever. Whereas I think, um, and I think also Seattle's become more willing to adapt, like um, and let them play how they'd like to play rather than being like really regimented in their views on it. Whereas I think like three technique and losing Jaron Reed and stuff is like they don't actually have like a guy, a defensive tackle on the interior of the defensive line who can play um, like all three downs um, and like bring stuff against the pass. So like Puna Ford's showed glimpses of that, but they don't have. They'll have to like shift the big end there if they're in like nickel and or like, so like Kerry Hyder can play there, but then Kerry Hyder is not going to play like in a four down front. He's not going to be that big three tech. who can like, like the four, three kind of three tech. So, I mean, they'll probably go, they're going to run bare fronts as their base. So they'll have like two, three techniques and a big nose tackle as well. Um, So two guys over the guard, one guy over the center. So that'll help out. But the lack of Reed, who was also the guy who like, uh, Clint Hurt the defensive line coach he entrusted him with uh, coordinating all the pass rush games so like the movement's designed to get everyone free to sack the pass rusher well they need to find that as well and Reed was perfect because he'd be there every down like he'd, he'd play every down they don't have that anymore so that, I mean that's something to work out Dunlap may well be the guy who does it but like you said he's 32 um, ESPN wise he wasn't very productive in like pass rush win rate but that could be kind of fake because they Seattle and base downs only really had one real edge and opposite him on the other edge of the defense was KJ Wright, who wasn't much of a pass rush threat. Whereas this year, I believe Benton Mayowa is the projected Sam, which he may be like, I don't like the sound of him in coverage, but if they're doing this bear thing, I mean, that's why they've got Mayowa there because he's the, the pass rushing Sam at that position and they can have Daryl Taylor there. But um, yeah, I, I don't feel, feel too bad about the defensive uh thing before I like ask Stu how he feels, I'd just like to say like so like d- Trey Brown, at first I was like, well, why have they, you know, he has 13 8 inch arms. Like it's a DJ Reed mirror, but DJ Reed has just under 32 inch arms. But then you watch Brown and immediately I'd like skipped over him in the draft stuff. But then I went back and watched and was like, oh this guy's actually physical, this is what physical press coverage looks like. Like this is what denying like he denies people space off the line not just immediately but when they try and release, he'll cut them off. He'll take the air out of the release. Um, he's scrappy. He's competitive. And there was all these long corners at like 56, which you mentioned, Adam. But none of them like appealed to me. And the, <clears> you know, there's a few guys in the fourth round. They may have missed out on Robert Rochelle when they traded down. He was also at the senior bowl, went to the uh, Rams. But like Brown is just scrappy. And I think this isn't something instinctive thing. At first, I was like, well, it's a bit obvious. But actually, remember Demarius Randall moved to cornerback, so they clearly wanted like a a smaller a smaller type of mirror and the mirroring for me just to bring it back full circle the mirroring on the defense is very clear to me like they do like i think daryl is gonna be the backup sam rush sam i think they have like one type for each role and then if you pe- pencil it in as think away from think four three personnel but think of this like base like bare defense which i have a picture on my twitter if i haven't explained it very well it's, it's like five
1: on the line, isn't
2: it? But yeah, five on the line and you've got the Sam as one wide edge and the other edge is the best pass rusher. And then the, the interior guys is like one, three technique. So let's say our Woods one nose tackles to say like Puna Ford, Brian Monet, maybe. And then the big end. So what Seattle has called the fire technique, he, he lines up as the other guy over the guard. So in a three technique alignment, but not roll. Um, so they, they, they have built their roster for that, I think, really well. So I, I do disagree with you, but I do see where you're coming from. Um, Stu, am I am I like a blind optimist?
0: No, like, uh, but one thing like, I, I don't think I'd realise until you mentioned that if you think about Pete Carroll's USC de- defences and the Seahawks ones, three of the first four names you think of are safeties. So you've got Troy, and then you've got obviously the two he had in Seattle before and then, obviously, you've got Richard Sherman, who, uh, with everything he does, is somewhat of an anomaly. But yeah, um, I, I I quite like the defense. I I think I said on the pod last week to you, Adam, that if if they found a way to get more than three picks, which they did for about twelve hours, um, no three hours, um, that uh, I I thought they might take like someone like a, a Tommy Tokyo uh, from Ohio State who Just looked like a mix of Jaron Reed and Puna Ford. Where I watched him, he just he, he didn't play much, he, he was in know, much tread on the tires at uh, Iowa State. But he just sideline to sideline, he was so much fun to watch. But they didn't, and they, they, I don't think they really addressed it in the undrafted guys who I don't think it's been announced fully yet. But when drafted names I've seen who have signed, there's not one in there either. So it is an interesting thing, but there is, as I said. Uh, some defensive free agents who they could go and address uh, quickly on es- back to Eskridge so, um, though. In the second round, the th- all four NFC West teams made a selection, and bar the Niners who took Aaron Banks from Notre Dame, um, Tutu Atwell, Dwayne Eskridge, and Rondale Moore. I mean, an arms race is an arms race, uh, Matty.
2: Yeah, I mean, Rondell Moore was fun. That was that was one of those picks where. He- you, you see it happen, you're like, ah, that's that's unfortunate. Like, I didn't think <laughs> didn't think Seattle maybe I mean, they mentioned him afterwards and I I had hmm. had wondered about him as a fit, but I don't know if they could afford like there are medical question marks surrounding his game. And I don't know if Seattle, you know, they might be a bit gun-shy from last year and the Dow Taylor experience, but also they kind of need a contributor, given the obvious need that Adam alluded to at wide receiver, like you know, David Moore, their third highest targeted receiver by some way behind, like Metcalf was second at 129, Moore was uh, third at 47 targets, but still, Moore gone, Philip Dorset, who was signed to be that wide receiver three, gone. So, you know, they needed someone. Uh, it wasn't Rondell Moore, because obviously he went four, but Eskridge, like, compared to two Atwell, like, Eskridge can legitimately play outside, and like, I watched his, um, you know, I went back and watched his Senior Bowl stuff, where already I was like, well, this guy's interesting, but like, as you said, Stu, like, his uh, Doug Baldwin style releases, but, like, the way he is able to separate against press coverage means that, you know, he's five foot eight and a half, I think, or something, and 190 pounds. So he's he's fairly big for his frame. He's not massive, obviously, but he's big. He runs fast, but he has that now at the line of scrimmage to like half step and, like, drop his weight like he's a slalom skier uh, or, like, basketball crossover. And then, bang, he's, he's released the, the DBs, like given him, you know, the angle of departure that he wants from the line of scrimmage. Uh, so he's he can hold up. And I think he can, like the big question with all these like smaller guys is, can you beat press? Because in the NFL, you'll face press. In college football, you're not likely to face press. And, you know, everyone points towards Eskridge's uh, production like he never had in a thousand yard uh, year, like receiving yards year. I mean, have you looked at his quarterbacks? Like, have you looked at his, Like, some of the routes he was catching these balls on are, like, weird, like, inside release, like, really, like, skinny instant posts or slants or, like, I don't know what they'd call them, but that won't fly in the NFL. But the big thing is, I think, he he can, like, run. Th- I mean, he may need to learn some of the NFL routes, but his re- just being able to beat press is just so big and, and he's such a dynamic athlete. I thought he'd had a... I thought he'd have a few more gears, but ultimately uh, he's rapid. Um, and uh, like, you look at Tutu Atwell, who the Rams took and like, he's 150 pounds. Like, and I don't think he can beat press. It's just, and they like tried to spin it as like, he's the Sean Jackson, Sean McVeigh said. And it's like, mm, well, I don't, I don't really see that. Whereas so I think Eskridge is like, immediately after I saw he could beat press, I'm like, this guy is actually more of an outside Kind of type, like he's like Lockett coming out in in the sense that you know, in a different roster without DK Metcalf, um, there, you know, there's a scenario where Eskridge could even play at X on the line of scrimmage, like the the split end type. I mean, he's more of like a Z. The way I see it is, if there is two wide receivers on the field, it's obviously going to be Metcalf and uh, Lockett. But if there's three, then I think Lockett may move to the slot and you let Eskridge, who's learned just the outs like the routes at Z's receiver. Or Z, as our American friends would say, um, you let him like learn that kind of root tree and contribute um there when they got three yards was on the field. But um yeah, I like I like the Eskridge uh, pick and like it was definitely better than and like I, I see I see Adam's point earlier about like, you know, it being deep for a receiver and it was, but there wasn't I mean it's a year where they don't have many picks, so they can't really uh do if there was a guy who was falling, they couldn't really like they they got the next best guy from the senior bowl in undrafted free agency in, in K Johnson, I'd have said for the for that slot role. So I think they did all right out of it. Um, mm. And Esquivel, I don't really have any question marks about his game, really. A- Adam, thoughts?
1: Um, no, I mean, look, as I say, I'm I'm very happy to defer when it comes to this. I have a a more general question about the next pick in Trey Brown. So I think with Shaquille Griffin gone, particularly, I would imagine most fans have got DJ Reed penciled in as winning one of the two cornerback roles based on his form from last year on the outside. And um, they made a big point of saying that Trey Brown could play on the outside. Um, my most vivid image and memory of any NFL game I've ever been to was at MetLife stadium. And I was sat next to Stewart, and right in front of us, the Seahawks had the ball on about the six or seven yard line and Jimmy Graham split out wide And he was up against a cornerback who was five foot nine, five foot 10. And it was just single coverage. And Stu and I just nudged each other and just said, just fucking throw it to him (laughs) because he's a foot taller. So there's nothing they're going to be able to do about it. So from a reductive perspective, uh, which is where I come from all this stuff, because I I don't have the you know X's and O's knowledge that you guys do. So I'm learning as much as anything here. So I'm trying to ask the questions that maybe the the listeners that aren't as knowledgeable might, might want to ask. You mentioned about Trey Brown's technique. If we're in a red zone position and DJ Reed and Trey Brown are your two cornerbacks at five foot nine and five foot 10 or whatever, how do you stop a team that have Nick Hopkins?
2: Well, you kind of, you kind of screwed, aren't you? I mean, but then <laughs> that comes down to coaching. But then what's and-
1: the process? So, 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 so how do you get past that? And, and why, why has he been taken? Because obviously they think that there's a way you can stop that.
2: Well, the way you, well, there's a few there's a few solutions, right? So one, Pete Carroll said, having two, if anything, DJV works against the argument for Trey Brown because you don't want two short corners out there, and sure. his reasoning would involve this dreadful scenario that you've mentioned. Now, the other thing is Seattle in goal line situations where you're most likely to get. I mean, if we're talking goal line, goal line, or maybe even inside the ten, you're probably going to get like. Three routes and you you've you played in limited space. So what they did do occasionally, Seattle, is when they're in their goal line package, is Nico Thorpe came out on the field as a tool guy. Um mm-hmm. so you could sub in like Trey Flowers could and then Pete Howell was big on everyone having a role. If Flowers isn't the starter, then his role, as it was with Cody Barton as a linebacker last year, is the goal line corner to save the day against mm-hmm. a big and flowers. You know, I think he can defend the fade um occasionally but um i mean it is a difficult situation uh like even at the senior bowl one-on-ones like uh, brown showed a lot of good stuff but you know he he did get big big bodied he will get big bodied and his lack of arm length is a bigger issue i think than reed i mean you may say it's nitpicking to say you know they're only an inch shorter than reed but it shows up to me at least um you know at the catch point it's really relevant um (laughs) But, uh, but then he's not, he's not a slot, right? Because his agility numbers don't reflect that. And while he's twitched up, like really twitchy, he, I'd say, is better suited to the outside. Give him a sideline. Don't let him cover in a two-way go scenario. So then it just becomes about matchups, which is something Pete Carroll was more than aware of and mentioned after drafting him. Like, if there is a really big guy, you know, then maybe, remember they had, um, Brandon Browner came back and was going to be the big nickel that would have been to take on tight tens, but you could create this role in, in situations, situational football where you have, heck, even a keen King, like, um, and then Ryan Neal. Now he could maybe do it or there's the different options or you just play cover two. um, And which is Seattle likes to do that. And they will, have a, a half safety over the top sometimes helping but also it allows the corner to play more aggressive and really jam in the flat uh, in goal line situations um, with the aim of funneling to a guy on their half of the field in the red zone so but no it's, it's, it, I mean it's a problem like John Schneider said if this guy was 6-2 he'd be a, like a top 10 pick like I kind mm-hmm. of I'm inclined to agree with that the other encouraging thing is he has played against like the best of the best in college mm-hmm. football and like college football was even more wild for like trying to exploit matchups in some ways. Um, and he didn't get like massively exposed. I haven't, I've been watching a, f- a few games. I haven't watched like every single game of his yet, but um, yeah. I, I mean, Stu, do you, do you agree with me? Yeah. But
0: the but the, the the thing I mentioned to you about over the weekend was uh, obviously it's most prevalent with Trey Brown is that Um. That there's, uh, as I said earlier, a lot of conversation is about coach adapting for the quarterback, but the coach is adapting. He, DJ Reed was a John Schneider guy who banged bang the table for him when he was released by the 49ers um, at the back end of preseason last year, or training camp, where preseason, wherever it was last year. And again, they've gone this sub. Like he's, like, the, two years ago, the Seahawks have two 5'9, five, 5'10 five, cornerbacks. was... Almost inconceivable because I mean, but also at the same time, a few years ago we had all that Lane O'Hill and Tedrick Thompson, and uh, I can't remember the other guy who was in that quartet, but um, but yeah, like they've he, Pete Carroll is changing, it just doesn't seem that if people are noticing they don't really want to, May Well, one thing
2: I'd raise as well on that subject, and I agree with your point, um, is everyone knows Seattle for like the the step kick technique right or the kick step and like but they they didn't that's not just the only thing they teach their corners like they the first thing they have is like mirror steps where they just they inch backwards kind of similar to what brown talked about and they make that work for them carol nt state he brought up this example himself he spoke about Donnie Legrand, who was, I have no idea, but Carol, and that's very disrespectful, but also I wasn't alive and I didn't even know football was a thing in like 1970 something, but Donnie Legrand was this five foot seven guy he had coaching under Monte Kiffin at NC State and Carol brought that guy up um, after DJ Reed's incredible interception against the Washington football team and said like, well, you know, we have to open our minds more and they clearly have done and how I'd say it as well is, and this is a thing with the draft and it's easy to get i myself this i think this happens to anyone but you get lost in like the immediate uh consequence and like oh crap like this is a bad pick or like this is a i don't really get this pick but then again he's a fourth round pick at his worst he's is he an upgrade on the marius randall outside cornerback i mean yes in terms of uh contract cheapness um athletic ability like twitch wise he is um I haven't seen much of Randall, but I'd say he's more of a slot in terms of um, agility wise. And um, even even worse, worse, you've brought in a guy who's a special team kick returner who's very impressive uh, as a gunner as well. And so, you know, if that if that works out, that works out, but it's a fourth round pick and that's why having three picks sucks. Um, but you, you've got really solid depth for that DJ Reed role. Um, and I think, they kind of needed that because if suddenly you're, you're getting used to this having this smaller corner he's really good at reading route combinations and stuff then it kind of sucks if that, if that is
0: um, one thing on the smaller cornerbacks and Monty Kiffin Rondé Barber who was obviously a massive part of that Tampa Bay Buccaneers defence with the Warren Sapp Derek Brooks John Lynch Rondé Barber was 5'8", 5'9", as well so yeah that's another example of it working for that um, coaching tree, as it were. Um, and then on the third pick, um, Matt, uh, guys, they drafted The Rock. Um, <laughs> John uh sixth round pick they traded up for with the pick they got for the early trade up uh, back and 250. Um, he's a large human. And as I said, I was surprised that his surname was, uh, wasn't annoy or well, um, which is a wrestling gag for the two people who uh, may pick up on that who listen. Um, but with the trade-off, Forsyth, it he's left tackle, the conversation He's going to be left tackle, the hair to the left tackle, Dwayne Brown thrown. But is what's the chances that he's here in, initially in 2021 to get him on the field to compete and push Brandon Shell? May
2: Well, it sounds quite high. I mean, that's what Pete Carroll, like, claimed you know afterwards that he'd come in and compete with brandon shell uh interesting comments as well about you know getting him outside in space being on the right track um uh reaching blockers or sealing them off on the backside, sealing a d tackle off on the backside, which tells you again it's going to be an outside zone offense they like this guy's movement even though he's big he can run uh he was like i watched him uh briefly um and he uh, because I prefer cornerbacks and so focused most of my attention on Trey Brown. But um he like his pass protection is really good. Uh and Schneider was like, you know, asked, I think by Joe Fan why did this guy fall? Because all the draft nicks, they said that he was meant to be really good and um, you know, a second round player, and they didn't understand it. And Schneider his best bet was that. You know, maybe he was too quiet a character offensive line coaches. They like this, like gritty, loud, kind of gnarly dude. And this guy's a bit quiet. Uh, And then Schneider brought up, not comparing the two players (laughs) skill-wise. I mean, we'd all dream of this, but he said that Walter (laughs) Jones was also a quiet guy. And they talked about how Steve Hutchinson was really involved in the process. um, And uh, look, got to know Forsythe and you know Forsyth himself wondered if his run blocking wasn't very good. And while he is six for eight and even in past pro situations where he plays with a really good kick slide and he has really good usage of separate hands, um, and he held up in empty where he's literally just on an island the whole time, like empty protection. So only five men protecting the quarterback. Um you know it happens sometimes here as well, where because he's so tall, occasionally people, when they're shocking with power rushing, like bigger guys, and um, they get under his pads a bit, so his pad level could improve, but Forsyth himself wondered if run blocking was the issue. And I, you know, Schneider's thought that was unfair because, he, you know, Florida don't really run the ball that much. And when they do, it's usually like some kind of college thing where the quarterback runs it or it's, it's not that translatable. So I guess, again, from the nfl they're like well, we don't know what this guy looks like as a run blocker but that'll be his main thing to focus on and but yeah i think he can compete with shell it prob- i thought shell was good last year um especially before he got injured so yeah Ad- adam do you like foresight i mean
1: i can't believe that everyone said he looks like the rock which is great he is a massive person called stone which is a rock and that's not come up. She I can have-
0: legitimately not realised that until... No
1: one like has said that, have they?
0: Three seconds ago,
1: no. So you can have that for your next article. I'll, I'll give you that. In fact, maybe Matty has got thanks. more traction than us when he starts writing. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, I was listening and... Sorry. Um, sorry. I was listening again to, to Mike Dugar and Chris Kidd today, and I think they said that someone does a big board of big boards... So they collate uh, a 70.
0: Arif Hassan, I think he is. Yeah, I think
1: think it's Harif who does it. And I think they had Stone, his overall position was like 118th best player. Um, And I think, you know, again, what the hell do I know about massive blokes that push each other around the line of scrimmage? I mean, but from what I can tell, the upside of this guy is huge. And we've all played fantasy football and got to one of your last couple of picks and thought, well, I'm just going to take a guy that might be you know, someone that can score an 80-yard touchdown every other week and give you 17 points. And it kind of seems like that's what they've done here. They've taken a guy whose upside is potentially, you know, starting tackle. Um, And again, from what Mike and Chris were saying on their podcast today, I think they said that if all three draft picks performed to the best possible ability that they could do, then Stone Forsyth would end up being the best player about out of all the three and the most valuable. So I'm all for it taking taking someone like that as opposed to a, you know, another bless his heart DJ Dallas style running back who best win the world is is not going to be on the team in a couple of years' time. I wouldn't have thought. No, but,
0: uh, but two things on on uh, Forsyth. One thing I've seen mentioned with him struggling with the uh, run game is pad level. Why why? Well, I think that's what but yeah pad level mm-hmm. um, why is that an issue for someone so large why would well, that be an issue for someone so large
2: well there's a, there's a few things so if you're like if you're six for eight right, how are you going to get low but have a solid base like that's it's true. it's very difficult because if you're going to bend like that, I mean that's bad because you might dip your head so you know risk of neck injuries concussion paralysis, terrible things. Uh, you you want to sink naturally, you know, at, in your hips. You want to sink down into that powerful position. However, if you're a six foot eight guy, that's difficult. No matter how flexible you are in your lower body and your your midriff, um, you know, think of the other extreme of Puna Ford, where he plays with natural pad level because he is five foot ten where he's this squat guy and he will naturally be lower than people. Now, you you can move people a lot easier if you're getting low. Um, if you're six for eight and you're trying to bend too much, then you're you're off balance because you're, you've bent at the waist and you're lunging forward. You're going to lack power and, and an edge rusher can just pull you or a defender trying to shed the block can just pull you down and, and then they're on their way you're not hitting or striking or um, engaging from a position of power. So it will be tough for him, but similarly, like, similarly, that's, mm-hmm. yeah, that's a word. Yeah, there we go, nailed it. Um, you know, look at Andrew Whitworth. That, there's clearly a thinking behind this, right? I mean, Waldron's come in, Andy Dickerson's come in as the run game coordinator. I believe that's his title. Uh, and they, you know, have had Andrew Whitworth, who's six foot seven at left tackle, he has been the stalwart there. And they've obviously thought, well, this guy, Forsyth, he he could grow into that. And they did need, this is so nice because everyone was panicked about, like, how are they going to replace Dwayne Brown? Like, he's a ticking time bomb. He's so old. Um, you know, maybe he'll be another Whitworth and play until he's almost 40, but that's unlikely. That's not really how the NFL works. So this is nice because they've got a past protector who has just the size (laughs) like he's really good feet for his size but he also has you know he may be able to grow into this run blocking type
0: um so yeah yeah. that was that was exactly what my next question was going to be was it important that they came away with someone who if Dwayne Brown goes down week two and calls it a day or a year down the line again with no first round draft pick Dwayne Brown walks away into the sunset it was important to get someone that they could if he was if they thrust into the the line at left, they could trust and have the have the, the eyes on him, having good film and doing what he did at Florida. So you just answered my I guess. You just answered that, mate.
2: Yeah, I mean, they clearly rate Cedric or Bouet as well. Um, but I mean, it's nice to have t- taken a young guy who can be molded and learn under Dwayne Brown and they're obviously shocked they could get him like they described the process of Hutch and Carroll like pacing Schneider described this mm. of them like pacing around like nervously waiting they traded up for him which Schneider actually loves doing in day three he just seems to get busy and trade, suddenly start trading up But even when he only has you know four picks and then turns back into three again but yeah they got their guy which I think is more important like If you look at undrafted free agency, they still landed like a long cornerback project in Brian Mills. They still landed a slot wide receiver, which I think were the other two areas where you're like, well, hang on, they haven't taken that aside from defensive tackle, which we've mentioned. And it is a bit surprising, but then it was supposedly a very poor defensive tackle draft. So Yeah. Uh,
0: Adam, anything more on Stone? Not on Stone, but I have got a,
1: a general draft question. So obviously teams in the first round pick... A, for need, that you know, their biggest need, and B, you know, the talent that's on there. Most people know kind of who the best players are, but I do often feel that like the first round is, is a referendum on what the league values when it comes to positions and, you know, wh- where do we need to strengthen? with This is our blue chip pick for the year. Where should we be looking? And I couldn't help but think it, there was a degree of irony to the fact that the Seahawks' entire draft had been blown up because they traded for a guy who his position group wasn't even selected in the first round. Not a single safety went in the first round. Now, obviously, I know that that's probably because there wasn't a Jamal Adams uh, of of that talent, but there were quite a few taken in the second round. And, you know, know, at times teams reach up or whatever. Does it say anything about the devaluing of, of the safety position? And, you know, what with the impending contract talks coming up with Jamal Adams' I, I still have a little bit of a fear that they're going to start throwing bad, uh, you know, good money after bad uh, with what may happen with this contract, Matty. Uh,
2: I I really like Jamal Adams. I so quickly on on the safety position, I do think like it hasn't been, it's not very valued around the league. Um, and but I think you know we spoke about earlier how cornerback is a uh like think of the Carroll cornerbacks think of the Carroll safeties he seems to value safety more highly whether that be right or wrong I just guess we'll find out I think Adams when healthy is one of the best safeties in the league um, and is worth paying because he uh, Everyone calls him a linebacker but if you think about how the Seahawks build their defense they have like seven guys right Four, three, seven guys, and then the extra guy, the plus one, to help stop the run. Think about the NFC West: who, who, which teams run the ball? Well, all of them have to run the ball to a certain degree to set up certain things, um, and the, the run action as well. Adams is superb at playing in the box, as we all know, and being around the line of scrimmage. He's a weapon. Um, and he's something that Kyle Shanahan is not, as an offensive coordinator, said how you know he isn't. He wishes like. I can't remember the exact quote, but he he said it was a nightmare, like trying to play against him. He wishes he didn't have to. You do have to account for him. In Seattle last year, actually, solved used him to solve a lot of schematic issues they were having with Bear. He was like a big part of that whole defensive approach, which did win them like the NFC West. They event, I mean, yeah, level of opposition, I get it. But he did he did play well, and he was injured, like. If he wasn't injured, and I get this is a silly caveat, but you look at his health before that. He'd been healthy forever. He, he said being injured was such a weird sensation. Um, but, like, if you look at his health, um, like, he, he just wasn't there. Like, like he couldn't extend his arm so that makes it hard to cover guys I, I, he can cover guys a lot better than i think people realize like if you look at go back to atlanta falcons week one where he was very very good and active um and he's kind of he can do everything the seahawks want from a safety he's like their he's like their dream safety he's like all of the safety positions roll into one and i think pete does view a bit of him as like troy polamalu but um i think there's elements to his game which is cam's elements which are like earl thomas in terms of He's really active in zone coverage. I, his range and his, his uh, wanting to get involved and in kind of uh, frenetic energy uh, and his motor is so big for the defense. Um, but yeah, the, the safety position has been devalued around the league, um, and I think you 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 have to realize that Adams is kind of doing. He can do like everything in the defense, and really, it is a headache for offense coordinators. Though I do understand why you'd be cautious because of that devaluation around the league. I think he is a very rare exception where he's just an absolute stud. And I think if he came out, I'd still think he'd get picked in the top 10 like he was mm-hmm. because I think he is just that rare, rare level of player. And I can't wait to hopefully see him play healthy. And I think I think everyone will be a lot more satisfied. I think you know he'll get more production on the ball in past coverage. And I think you won't see balls thrown over his head. I mean, some of them were actually the fault of like, you know, playing with Leno Hill, not Conje Diggs at free safety. So um <laughs> yeah, so that's a, that's a long answer. And I, no, That's good. I do think uh yeah you are right the safety's uh, not valued around the league. I think it's a bit different in Pete's system um for quite complicated reasons. But, but um yeah he he can do everything. Um he can set the edge he can run through against the run. Uh, he can play zone. He can match up with tight ends. Um, he can play deep zones as well. Um, I I would pay him, but mm-hmm. I, I I and I'm glad they didn't trade him. And they are they obviously they obviously love him because, like I said, he he's literally their dream defensive player. He can do anything. Mm-hmm. So
0: mm-hmm. yeah, and a rare exception was, was the term used for the guy who. Um, was in the, the heart of the Seal's defense when they were winning and going to Super Bowls, obviously. Neil Thomas. So, yeah, I I, I love uh, Jamal Adams. I love watching Jamal Adams. I love how salty Jet fans still are about Jamal Adams. And yeah, <laughs> I, I think I'd, in a much more simpler term that uh, Matty just put, it, I'd, I'd pay him, I'd keep him, and yeah, because when, when it, I know they gave up a lot, but. Going from Earl Thomas to Jamal Adams, I know they play different positions, but that is like Andrew, Locke, Peyton Manning kind of like a drop off. Uh, again, as we've said before, Adam, like we, we didn't really appreciate what we had with that ROB, Cam and all that back there or the entire team really. But like the the, yeah, the fan base appreciating what they've had for the last 10 years at the safety position with Jamal and Earl is yeah, it's a conversation probably needs to be had more often uh, elsewhere in the draft Matty they went uh, an interesting crop of undrafted free agents uh, wide receiver Tamori and Terry who went up the clips that people posted on he kind of looks a bit like Philip Dorset, that kind of guy who just gets downfield and hopefully the ball is got to him O-Lyman Jared Hucker from te- uh, A&M what, wide receivers you said earlier Kay Johnson from South Dakota State Brian Mills the cornerback from North Carolina Central which is a HBCU. Running back BJ Emmons from Florida International. Josh Johnson, another running back from Louisiana Lafayette. Connor Weddington, a wide receiver, kick returner. And also a Seattle native from uh, Stanford. John Rattigan, from a linebacker from Army. And Jack Kerhan, from O-Lyman from Cal. Greed Island from Mississippi State. And my favourite one. Uh Pierre Olivier Lesage from Montreal, Quebec, Canada. Um any, we'll get on to PO in a little bit. Anyone jump out of that crop for you, Matty? Well, I'm, I talked
2: about Johnson, but real quickly, like he was very good at the senior ball in terms of his route running. Um, but you know, he lacks explosion. There's a reason why he went undrafted, and that is just he's pretty uh like he's kind of, I, I don't really see how he'll get much better. Uh, he kind of, you know, what you're getting with him. Um, but then again, if that means that John Osoa or Penny Hart, John Osoa is like 27 now, or like Penny Hart gets cut from the slot role, it's good competition. Um, we'll have to see how that plays out. But he'll have to win purely off route running craft. Um, then um, Terry is the. Uh, like he's he's big. I think his, his he'd have probably been drafted if he didn't have like serious case of the drops. Like, and Seattle, of course, with Jermaine Kerr, like So they managed to teach him how to catch. So maybe they feel they can hopefully coach this guy up. Um, just a height, weight, speed guy, but also yak. Like, uh, yeah, I see you shrugging Adam. <laughs> but, um, uh, and then uh, Ireland is an interesting one because he's he's big, like he's huge. He's six eight again. He's But he has a much bigger issue with like that forward lean that I described could happen if you're tall and trying to get your pad level down, kind of lunging. Um, And it's whether you play him at guard or tackle. Um, Do they view him kind of as a backup for Forsyth to push Forsyth as this tall tackle? Or do they view him as just a mega guard? I'm interested to see that play out. Uh, Jake Curhan from Cal uh, is like, I think he had a heart issue which is why he didn't get drafted because he was pretty polished and he was invited to senior that's
0: the one that Rappaport tweeted about yeah I think so oh no one's seen that name before
2: yeah so he's uh, he's like fairly promising but um yeah I'm glad he's been medically cleared I guess to to uh play football um so that's another interesting addition um yeah, I can't remember the rest of them, but...
0: Yeah, so on, 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 uh, on, on Pierre Olivier, um, I think I was one of the only people on my social media who wasn't watching uh, Line of Duty at 9 o'clock on Sunday Night BBC One, <laughs> never watched a second of it. Um, but I'm pretty certain I was the only person Saturday, Sunday morning at 2 o'clock in the morning watching a 95% in French uh, Zoom press conference with the Mont- Montreal Carabins coaching staff, PR, and beat writers talking to Pierre Olivier. Um, what a fine this kid could be. they each from the same city. as Laurent Duvenay-Tardif, who obviously was a massive part of the chief Super Bowl and opted out last year to fight the front line with his doctorate um, against COVID. Um, but yeah, I mean, like, this guy is, as I said to you, Matty, again every weekend, he's hilariously fun to watch. There's only like a six-minute clip Montage thing of him on YouTube, and it's just he he ends up on top of pretty much every person he blocks, <laughs> and it's just so much fun to watch. He's mainly at left guard, he played left tackle, right tackle, and right guard. Left tackle is interesting watching him uh, do the old uh, kick step, but like this, this guy is going to push both guards, he's going to push Posic. I think Paul Alexander, the airline coach, used to be for the Bengals, said that. He's, he's legit and he can stack the ball with both hands as well. And it's, it, I don't know the process Undrafted, but uh, Mike Solari and two of the airline coaches had multiple meetings with him. Pete Carroll rang him At some point. It sounded like Saturday night, joining undrafted to try and seal the deal. The Seahawks and the Colts went after him amongst the 10 11 of them teams. And like, if he makes the team, he's. Possibly Jersey ball, Adam.
1: If he makes the team, like we're in, Stu. That's us. That's us made for life. We need you to come back. We need Doug to come out of retirement for a couple of years. Cliff <laughs> Lofa can stink around the place for a bit, and Pierre. And then we're in. We we we, we got you know touchline passes for life, mate. What are we what are we worried about?
0: Yeah, he's is is he's, he's good. But it's not that that another issue, Matty, was the centre thing. But Lestage has a shot doesn't he because just watching him he pot I oh know it's Canadian college ball or youth sport league I think it's called but they won the Vernier which is their college football title He he's going to push Posich ahead of Fuller if he gets the opportunity to have a sustained camp workout thing
2: yeah and also he has those 33 inch arms which seems to be something they want on the interior of the offensive line um but like, uh, I mean, you you were sending me you sent me a clip uh, on Twitter and it was just like mauling someone down the field. That that person flows to the ball naturally, and then he because you can't sustain a block without holding for ages. But then he goes and like he- hunts that guy back out and just bashes him at the end, like classic nastiness that you want from your offensive line when you, you run blocking and or even pass blocking, but you want them to finish. So he has that, and yeah, Postic did need pushing. There was talk about. Uh, uh, ex-Viking centre Brett Jones coming in that may still happen but uh, it's nice that they uh, they clearly feel good about Carl uh, Fuller as well at centre and so having a legit competition there rather than the guy who you get from the Bengals I forgot his name now because he was, uh, uh, was a Finney.
0: disappointment BJ Finney, BJ Finney.
2: Bj Finney, there we go. He came in like oh, everyone. It was mysterious how he immediately managed to lose the job but after being signed to do that, <laughs> and then it came out that he was like massively overweight, and there was like pictures of him, and it was like, oh my god. So, hopefully, lesage is the answer. Um, Matty, yeah. if he's
1: got thirty-three inch arms and obvious height, do you reckon you could make him a cornerback uh, with a bit of coaching? <laughs>
2: He's six well, three. a bit of a bit of slimming, I think. He's 315 pounds, <laughs> isn't he? Yeah, I mean,
1: you know, you get that press coverage. That's what you're talking about.
2: Well, maybe maybe that's the answer for when. What happens if Nuck Hopkins In gets out and you've got a five
0: <laughs> foot nine guy? There we go. We've, we've uh, sussed we've it. it. We've uh,
1: absolutely sussed it, boys.
0: Yeah. Right. Um, yeah, but it, it felt good to see someone like that uh, with like an interesting story that the fans maybe can get behind. Which the last few years hasn't really happened. Obviously, one of those undrafted, uh, from a, a while back now, I don't know, we had in the pod and Doug Ball with him. Matty, um, we mentioned it last time adjacent to the Seahawks.com story, but we do, did appreciate the write up you did on our piece with our pod, our interview, oh, with well, Doug well, a few weeks ago. Well, the,
2: absolutely no problem, like it wasn't because I know you guys or because. We're part of, you know, the UK Seahawks uh, coverage, and it was just really good work. So obviously, was going to write it. But it was an easy article for me. I loved listening to it, and I was just like, well, I'll we have to bash that one out very quick. And uh, yeah, it was, it was great work. So yeah, no need to we're, thank me. We're
1: just going to take victory laps with everyone we possibly can. Yeah. To so yeah, uh, yeah it's, it's just you know it's just part of the yeah, cycle now. Getting. It's going
0: to it's going to be mentioned uh, right uh, to wrap up. Uh, get in the bin, Adam.
1: Yeah, let's do
0: it. Uh, right, oh, he, he's we, we put him in uh, residency last week. Rap, EM rapperport. So I watched ESPN live uh, via 2021 internet means on uh, Thursday night. Mina Kimes and Mar- Marcus Spears, I keep forgetting his name, are unbelievable on that TV show. The energy and like obviously Mina is just the, the best out there. Doing that stuff, but Marcus Spears' his whole whole energy and demeanor, and he still gets his point across concisely. Uh, the other guy who isn't the host is yes, um, but yeah. Uh, but then obviously the Adam Schefter dropped what he dropped on Aaron Rodgers, and then you turn over NFL Network, and Ian Rappaport is sitting alone uh, <laughs> in Brown Stadium, um, and he's just flailing around. Internally, I guess, but it the, like the, I tweeted Sunday, of the juxtaposition was interesting on Sky with Carragher and Neville separate to Graham Sooness <laughs> and whatever that was. The juxtaposition of Adam Schefter just dropping the story of put the NFL calendar year. Maybe I think I think the Aaron Rodgers Easily. deal and what he's doing is bigger than what Russell Wilson was apparently trying to do. And then Ian Rappaport is, as we say, tweeting out. Heart murmur X rays and sort and Adam Schefter just has a glint in his eye every time he's on camera. It was quite cool to watch. But my <laughs> my main one is Josh Ball, who is an offensive tackle from Marshall. Um, he was a draft pick for the Cowboys this weekend. If if people want to go and Google why he was at Marshall, why he was at Juco why he got dismissed from Florida State, and why um, him yeah. saying the past is the past. And everybody's moved on, so I don't have a comment on it. Is the worst answer of all draft interviews. 270 odd interviews over the weekend from draftees and GMs and everything else. The worst thing anyone said: the past is the past, and everybody's moved on. Let's I think probably someone should go and ask the person who is most directly affected by what saw Josh Ball dismissed from Marsh uh from Florida State because eesh, swear words uh, can rain down. Oh, I watched I watched Josh Ball when I was watching um the running back we had uh, on the pod uh, give one word answers for twelve minutes a few weeks ago. Um and I liked him and then I googled <laughs> him I Googled him and then I was like, oh, yes, no. No, 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 no. But yeah, they come out with that. And of course, he's a Cowboys player. Of course, Jerry Jones drafts Josh Ball after he drafts another podcast guest in the Charm Right. And after he uh drafts in the first round, Red Flags Mika Parsons, mate.
2: Well, I I hadn't heard that thing about I kind of switched the draft off, had a little, like, Nap and then uh, <laughs> and then it was back to I didn't know that that's wow that's that's quite a thing yeah Uh yeah that's Sean right that's fun yeah that, that's that was good good news yeah and Mika Parsons that's yeah like it's funny hearing like analysts like explain hazing and like is he just uh is he is he just a bit too much of an alpha and it's like mm, that's not really it's not really a good explanation for hazing is it but nope. anyway um. <laughs> Anyway, Jordan Brooks is my off-ball linebacker. Um,
1: I thought we were going to uh, put him in the bin, which would have made one of the you know one of the biggest turnarounds in twelve months in uh, in social media history.
2: No, no, no. I'll put um, I won't put Les Snead in the bin because obviously coronavirus is very serious, and hopefully he is recovering okay. But I will put the Rams Malibu Draft House in the bin because Good. how how embarrassing is it? You can't. First of all, I'm sure. That will be used for future events, and you know maybe it'll be like a timeshare or some some kind of scheme. I don't know, but to create this amazing draft house, which is obviously trying to compete with like Cliff Kingsbury's kind of weird bachelor uh, setup uh, uh, in the desert, uh, to, to make this amazing draft house, put out pictures of it, and then your GM ends up getting COVID and you can't even draft. He's like drafting from like this like terrible looking setup in like a bedroom where, where he's, he looks really ill and then they take like £150 receive in the second round. Like it's not, <laughs> that's not really how, so I think you just have to bin the house. So I don't know if, well, this bin seems fairly large. There's quite a lot of people, yeah. in, right? Yeah. if it fit yeah, a house yeah, yeah. in it? They can actually yeah. all live
1: in the house in yeah. the bin. So this works out very well. Yeah,
2: per- perfect. Yeah. Perfect. I mean, yeah. So that's my answer. Um,
1: uh, I think, and I'm annoyed at myself for not knowing exactly which wide receiver it was because they went five and six. But I'm pretty sure, given that there were other Alabama receivers in there, I think it's Jalen Weddle that I'm putting in the bin, as opposed to Jamar Chase, who, when he... You're looking at me as if I've done, done some no, terrible. No, no. Re- reason I'm, The reason I'm doing it is he got picked. His whole family were in that little draft pod, and he just walked out <laughs> that was awesome and that was he didn't so cool no that was not cool it was you've so got... good you've got to give your mum a hug at that point if you can or whoever's yeah, might, there or your, have... your family no he was gone
2: no he's all ball he's <sighs> yeah. ready to get to training camp he's Alabama that no, that's all that's that, all, that's oh, that's that kind it's of it's all NFL. about
1: the ball
0: that's what that, No, that's he, like, he. that's he, the did NFL say... stuff
1: that you yeah, know I'm sure he was I'm being a little bit harsh on a kid here I, I presume <laughs> But uh, I didn't. Yeah, that that to me. Give 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 your guys a hug that have come he down. Said he said he
2: celebrated before. To be fair, he did he did say well, we yeah. don't have video. But um, okay. I'm, so
1: has he been called out on this then already? Has says something has been he mentioned? like
2: replied to the tweet after everyone was like, "How are you not gonna hug your mama?" And okay. uh, he was like, "Yeah, I uh was said cel- I celebrated before the cameras,
0: but I don't know." It was it was quite funny and now it's gonna be gift and memed yeah, to smithereens during the season. But um but yeah, uh, Matty, where can people also mention Seahawk Maven? Uh you got podcasters yourself as well? I yeah, think Yeah, fa- fairly uh, a regular podcast.
2: But <laughs> if you wanna hear me and my, my friend uh, Griffin at see Mike Spin Move, if you wanna hear us like oh. talking about the Seahawks from like uh you know about week 12 last year, then go go ahead and check that out. We will be posting <laughs> occasionally on there, but, you know, schedules, cost-wise, cost I can only do so much things. But yeah, my main work... Not grafters
1: C- like me and Stu, Matty, that's the thing. You know, we, right. we, we're right. grafters. That's what I, I mean. I mean, 160 episodes we're at to now. You know, this is there's three this is Doug
2: Baldwin, and I uh, don't, yeah. don't know if we mentioned that, yeah. Yeah, Doug
0: double, Ball double top 100 uh, final draft pick as well. Um Also, <laughs> we're three... With three people who live in England, and we've decided to do this podcast at 8, eleven o'clock at night, so yeah. um, there's some some a mesh mesh brains going on. Um, yeah, I think that's everything. Sorry,
1: where, where, where's your at, writing as well?
0: At Matty F
2: Brown for like tweets. Uh, if you ever have a question about something, or like I've, if I, if one of my tweets is a bit confusing, which you know, <laughs> I try to make it accessible. But if it's like, you're like, what the hell is this guy talking about? Just, just, you can message me on Twitter or just reply. And uh, I'll, I'm happy to answer anything. Try and explain stuff. Uh, I mean, my whole work is trying to explain like Seahawks, like X's nose and, and, and uh, again, look at the draft a bit, but like schemey kind of things and tactics, but make it accessible to most fans. And sometimes I don't do that, but I'm happy to answer questions on top of that as well. So at Matty F Brown and then yeah, my works uh, at Seahawk Maven. Yeah,
1: Matty uh, is a great follow because he has no qualms in going in two footed on anyone in Seahawks Twitter that he <laughs> still needs to get it. It could be Nathan Ernst, it could be Ben Baldwin. If he doesn't, if Matty doesn't like what they've said, he's going in and they're getting twelve studs in the kneecap. And that's why we love, we love him, and he's a great follow.
0: Yeah, uh, yeah, appreciate your time, Matty, as always. Appreciate your. Uh, opinions because i think if adam was fat out of his depth i definitely did about 45 <laughs> seconds into every answer you gave but yeah massively appreciate your time as i said go check matty's writing out matty's uh, socials out and until next time this has been the pedestrian podcast
1: go hawks